Father God, um, we do um, delight in knowing you through your Son. We thank you for uh, that you have revealed yourself uh, through your word. You've created through your word and you've um, redeemed through your word. Your word made flesh to dwell among us, uh, the Lamb of God, take us away the sin of the world. We, we thank you for just the profound truth um, of you being uh, God who is one and three. Um, we thank you that um, you came in the person of your Son to bear uh, the offence we'd caused against you in order to um, give us eternal life. Uh, we pray that today, as we look into this uh, John chapter 10 um, of John's Gospel, um, speak to us deeply, uh, change us at the core of our being for your glory. Um, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's reading is from John 10, verses 1 to 21. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thanks, Thomas. Hi, everyone. It's great to, great to be here. 
Uh, I actually had the privilege of coming to Trinity South Coast back in 2015 when it started, came along for a few weeks and helped out with the, the kids program there and so I'm sure some of the kids that I taught are probably a lot more grown up now but it was great to be able to come along and meet a few of you then and to be able to, to come and meet a few of you now as well. It's probably worth pointing out, I think the, the nature of how church works is that if, if something goes wrong with sound up here, everyone turns around and looks at the sound desks and thinks they've done something wrong. Um, turns out this headset has a mute button and I had put the mute button on, so that's why there was no sound coming before. So just to make it completely clear, um, nothing's been done wrong up there. That was, that was all me. Just thought I'd get it off my chest. Uh, there's an outline in the leaflet so you can follow along with what I'm saying and keep your Bibles open to that passage as well. That will help you follow along a bit. I was saying before to Steve, I'm married to Alicia and Alicia and I went to a wedding of a couple of friends last December and we were at the reception. We were chatting to another couple there who we'd never met before and we were, we were comparing stories about how we knew the married couple and I was explaining that we were friends with Tom from church and one day Tom rocked up to Bible study with Jen but none of us quite worked out that Tom and Jen were together and then the guy that we were talking to interrupts and he says, why didn't Jesus tell you? Now, I take it that he wasn't asking that as a serious question. Uh, the fairly clear point that he was trying to get across there was that it's stupid for a Christian to think that they can have a relationship with Jesus when they can't see him. You know, if Jesus didn't walk into your Bible study group, say hi to everyone, grab a handful of chips and sit down, he's probably not there. Now maybe that's something that you've wrestled with, whether, whether you're a Christian or whether you're here just checking out what church is all about. How can we have a relationship with Jesus when we can't physically interact with him? How do we understand that relationship to work? Well, in the passage that Thomas just read to us, Jesus uses the imagery of sheep and a shepherd to illustrate something about what that relationship looks like for us. Uh, why it's not just possible to have a relationship with Jesus, but it's deeply rewarding and it's so important as well. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus already, I hope you come away from here today encouraged about the, the privilege that it is to have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, if you're here not identifying as a Christian, just, just checking out what Jesus and church is all about, it's great to have you here and I hope that you come away with an understanding, I guess a more full understanding of what it would mean personally for you to have a relationship with Jesus. Now we'll start by thinking about this, this shepherd and sheep imagery. Now being called a shepherd, it's not a good thing by today's standards. Oh sorry, being called a sheep, it's not, it's not a good thing today, is it? Like it, it basically means that you're a follower, you just go along with the crowd it really it flies in the face of the, the unique individuals that we all want to be. There's a guy that I went to high school with who got the nickname Sheep because there was another guy who he used to always follow around. He'd follow this guy around, he'd talk like him, he'd dress like him, he'd take the same classes as him. He basically wanted to, to be this guy. And so he got the nickname Sheep. Now, when Jesus speaks these words, it's, it's, a really, it's a familiar imagery that he was using. Now, it was, it was much more of a farming culture back then, uh, so sheep would have been a part of everyday life 
for many people. Is there anyone here who works on a farm with sheep or has grown up with sheep? Just having just got, got one person here, got, got one here, got, got a few. Okay, so <laughs> correct me if I say anything wrong <laughs> about sheep because you, you know a lot more about it than I do. <laughs> now, often in the, in the days when this was written, you'd get these, these large enclosures called sheepfolds uh, where a, a whole lot of different flocks of sheep might be kept. And there'd be a gatekeeper who would guard the sheepfolds and he'd let the, the shepherds in and out when they came to collect their sheep. Uh, so that's kind of looking at the, the immediate context. If we just look at the, looking at the Bible as a whole, uh, the, the whole sheep and shepherd imagery in the Bible is quite common. Uh, we read Psalm 23 at the start of this service, the Lord is my shepherd. It's a, a very well-known psalm which puts God as being the shepherd and his people as being the sheep. And there's, there's a lot of other parts of the Bible as well where that imagery is used to, to talk about God's relationship with his people. One passage where the imagery is used particularly strongly is Ezekiel chapter 34. Now, the book of Ezekiel was written during a difficult time for Israel. And in, in chapter 34, God announces a message of judgment for the bad shepherds of Israel. Now, he's using the language to refer to Israel's rulers as shepherds. And these rulers had failed to look out for the needs of the people at that time. They'd only looked out for their own interests. And so God was going to punish them. But the message isn't all doom and gloom in Ezekiel 34. God promises blessing for the sheep. He promises that he himself will shepherd over them with justice. He'll lead them to good pasture. And the sheep, that is the people, will know that God is with them. For those of you who were here last week, we saw that Jesus has just healed a blind man. He's just given a blind man his sight. And this blind man had been very badly treated by the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day. So instead of recognizing the miracle of, of Jesus restoring sight, to this man, uh, the Pharisees instead abused the blind man and they kicked him out from their community. So I take it that there's a, a parallel here between the bad shepherds of Ezekiel's day and the bad shepherds of Jesus' day as well. These leaders who have failed to neglect the needs of their people. And so when Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd, He's setting his own leadership in contrast with the leadership of the Pharisees. When he talks in verse 2 and verse 10 about the, the thief who breaks into the sheepfold to, to kill and to destroy, I take it that he's referring to the Pharisees when he says that. Right, now let's we'll zoom out for a second. So folk thinking not just of this passage, but John's gospel as a whole. Now, John explains the purpose of why he writes this gospel. He gives the punchline away right at the end in chapter 20, verse 31, uh, where he says that these things have been written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you may have eternal life in his name. That's, that's really the big picture of why John is writing this book. So of all the things that Jesus has said and done in his life, why... 
Why is chapter 10 worthy of being in John's gospel? Well, I think John would have realized that for those who are reading his gospel years and years after Jesus' death and resurrection, a relationship with Jesus might have been a bit difficult to fathom if they couldn't actually have Jesus physically present with them. And this this shepherding analogy that Jesus uses, it enables John to explain the nature of that relationship between Jesus and us. And there are four key things that we see from this analogy about the relationship that we can have with Jesus. I've got those written on the outline. Firstly, Jesus is a shepherd who knows us. Now you can imagine that a shepherd who takes the same flock of sheep out each day gets, gets to know those sheep quite well. He knows which sheep misbehave, he knows which ones get tired easily, all that sort of thing. Jesus knows us perfectly. In fact, he knows us better than we know ourselves. If we look at verses 14 and 15 here, Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Now we see throughout John's Gospel as we read it, this deep relationship that Jesus has with his Father. And so to say that Jesus knows us just as the Father knows him, would saying that he knows us very, very intimately. And not only that, but we can know him intimately as well. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to live in us, to guide us into a a more and more full understanding of who he is. And we get to know Jesus as well as we read the Bible, especially as we read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. So in John's gospel especially, uh, we, we see this unfolding picture of how Jesus' miracles and his teaching point us to a greater and greater understanding of who he is. And it's not just reading the Gospels, but reading the whole Bible that we get to know Jesus better, seeing how the whole Bible, all 66 books, fit together and point us to God's plan of salvation through Jesus. So what difference does it make that Jesus knows us and we can know him? What, what practical difference does that make? Which shapes, for starters, it shapes the way that we read the Bible and the way that we pray. Knowing that Jesus knows us inside out, that he knows the things in our hearts, he knows what we're worried about, that makes a huge difference to the way we pray. Jesus knows our hopes, our fears, our sadnesses. We don't have to pretend that everything's okay when we speak to him. We can pour out our hearts and our feelings to him. I think even with our closest friends, we're we're naturally very guarded in what we share and, and how we share it, the emotions that we use to share it. But we can be completely open with Jesus. And with Bible reading as well, I think it's easy to to get into a routine where we're just reading the Bible um, because we feel obliged to, because it feels like the right thing to do. It just becomes a a kind of a, a routine just for the sake of doing it. But if we're convinced that every page of the Bible points us to a greater understanding of Jesus and how he shapes our lives, 
it helps us to read with purpose and excitement. So is my prayer and my Bible reading being shaped by the fact that Jesus knows me perfectly and wants me to know him better and better? So Jesus is a a shepherd who knows us and he's a shepherd who cares for us as well. Now back in that day, the the sheep were most likely the family business and so the, the shepherd was very much tied up in the well-being of the sheep. And Jesus contrasts this with the hired hand who's getting paid per hour and really doesn't care one way or the other about the sheep. Uh, We've just had an election. Uh, You're probably all aware of that. Now, maybe I'm just overly cynical, but I find that when when I'm driving around and I I see all the election posters up there, when I hear the the politicians speak on TV, um, I always wonder to myself, is this someone who's trustworthy? Someone who has my best interests at heart? Or is it just someone who who wants my vote to to push their ambitions further? Now, I'm sure there's good politicians and bad politicians, just in case there's any politicians in the room right now. Um, But it's not something that we have to wonder with Jesus. We can be certain that Jesus has our best interests at heart all the time. Just like the sheep can trust the shepherd to to lead them along safe paths and to provide for their needs, we can trust Jesus in all circumstances. And that can be a challenge, can't it? When things are uncertain in life, or even more so, when things go wrong in life, when we have difficult times in life, we can find ourselves asking, Jesus, why are you leading me down this path? This knowledge that that Jesus cares for us and and that we can trust in him, it's something that is a lot easier to believe during the good times of life. I think um, we have to not just believe it, but really we have to be realistic that life won't always be good. There'll be bad days as well as good days. And we need to prepare ourselves that for when those bad days come, it doesn't mean that Jesus cares for us any less. I, was, I think I said when I was up here, I used to go to Trinity Inner South back in the day, and we've got a, a lady at Trinity Inner South, lovely, lovely old lady called Kay, had her 89th birthday last year, and Alicia and I happened to be on holidays and visiting Inner South that week, and we have the birthday song at Inner South, so it's normally kids under 12 get up and have the birthday song sung to them, but Kay being 89, we figured that was a pretty special occasion, so Kay got up, had the birthday song sung to her, and before she sat down, she, she got the microphone back and she said, just want you all to know, I'm 89 years old, and as I look back on my life, the Lord has never, ever let me down. Now, I know enough about Kay's life to know that she's had challenges in life, she's had difficult things that have happened, um, but just that perspective to be able to look back after almost nine decades and just to be able to see that during the good times and the bad times, Jesus was still good. He still cared for her. Jesus is also a shepherd who calls us. We see in verses three and four here, the shepherd calls the sheep by name and they recognize his voice. Now Jesus calls us not only to to make the decision to follow him, uh, but to keep following him as well. 
for those of us here who are followers of Jesus, we're never on our own. Jesus has called us, and we've heard his call. Now that call, it's going to look different for all of us. For me personally, I, I believed in God as a teenager, but I found myself slowly just drifting away from him in my life. I'd never really truly grasped what it meant to follow Jesus until I was 19 years old and I heard a talk on the topic of faith. And it really changed my view of faith completely. It made me realize what it meant to follow Jesus. And I I can pretty much trace it back to that talk where the, the penny really dropped for me and I really came to understand what it meant to follow Jesus. And I really, I heard Jesus call clearly in my life. The talk was actually just down the road at Adair Uniting Church, and it was Paul Harrington who was here last week giving the talk, actually, just to tie a bit of context into that. Now, I know people with a lot more extraordinary testimonies than that. I've got friends who you can make a movie out of their testimony. It's that incredible. And I know people who just can't remember a day when they didn't know Jesus' call on their life. We all have different calls. We all have different stories, but... At the end, it's, it's the same call from the same shepherd. Now, it's important for us to remember that call uh, because it will remind us of what our relationship with Jesus means for us, the significance that it has in our lives, and it will keep us thankful as well. In some way, Jesus has called us to follow him, and the Spirit has enabled us to hear his voice. Jesus also says here, verse 16, I have other sheep, not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. And what he's, what he's saying here is it's not just Jewish people that he calls. So he was speaking to Jewish people when he said this. It's, it's not just Jewish people that he calls, but it's people from all backgrounds that Jesus has come to call to follow him. And there'll be one flock and one shepherd. This is the the unity that a relationship with Jesus brings. People who have almost nothing in common are brothers and sisters in Jesus. I'm sure if you were to look around the room, you'd be able to see people that you really probably wouldn't have much to do with in life, normally outside outside of church. It's part of the reason why church is not only a great encouragement, but it's also a great witness to the outside world. People who are different in every possible way come together as a family united in Jesus. So Jesus is a shepherd who who knows us, who cares for us, who has called us. And even more importantly, he's a shepherd who dies for us. In verses 11 and 15, Jesus says that as a shepherd, he lays down his life for his sheep. And this is something that he does willingly. And not just by his own will, but it's by his father's will as well. Now as John's gospel goes on, it will become clear that what Jesus is talking about here is his death. He's predicting his own death. You see, Jesus' people, they have the same problem that everybody else in the world has. Sin. Sin is our desire to to do things our way rather than do things God's way. To be the king of our own lives rather than letting God have that rightful place as being the king of our lives. 
it makes a relationship with God impossible because God can't tolerate our sin. That means that we stand guilty before God because we've rejected him. And so Jesus came to lay down his life for his people to deal with their sin. On the cross, Jesus takes the punishment that we all deserve. And so if our trust is in Jesus, if we've made him the king of our lives and trust that his death was enough to save us, we can have a relationship with God through him. The, um, the shepherd-sheep imagery here it really captures our helplessness when it comes to sin. You know, just like a sheep would be completely helpless out in the wild if it didn't have a shepherd looking after it. Without Jesus dying for us, there's no way that we could ever live in a way that pleases God. Without a relationship with Jesus, we stand right in the firing line of God's judgment. So, Jesus is our good shepherd. And you'll notice that he mixes his metaphors a bit here in this passage and also refers to himself as the gate. Verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So just as the sheep walk through the gates uh, to get to the good pasture, we go through Jesus to get to eternal life. You see, Jesus doesn't just lay down his life, but we see at the end of verse 17, he takes it up again. Jesus was resurrected. He was raised from the dead. And it's this resurrection that Christianity really stands or falls on. You'll hear a lot more about it in a couple of weeks' time on Easter Sunday. But Jesus promises that just as he was resurrected, so we will be too if we've put our trust in him. We'll be raised to new life with new perfect bodies to spend the rest of eternity with Jesus in heaven. So just like the shepherd leads his sheep out of a, a filthy sheep pen that's, that's full of other sheep and way too squeezy, he leads them out of there and into lush pastures where they can feed. In the same way, Jesus leads his people out of a broken and fallen world into everlasting joy with no more pain, no more sadness. So Jesus is both the shepherd who leads us and he's the gate that we enter through. He came, verse 10, so that we might have life and have it to the full. The promise is that eternal life of Jesus it's going to be far better than anything we could ever imagine. We see a mixed response to Jesus' words here, don't we? Uh, in the last couple of verses there, there are, there are some people who think he's mad for saying this. There's others who have probably been there when he cured the blind man. They've said, well, hang on a minute. He's just healed a blind man. Maybe we should be listening to what he's saying. The fact is, there'll always be a mixed response to Jesus. We see it throughout John's gospel as we read it and in the world today. Not all sheep belong to Jesus. But we can be confident that Jesus will call the sheep that are his and they will hear him. 
Now, it might take a long, long time, but they will hear him. Now, that certainly isn't an excuse at all for us to be complacent. We should still pray that our friends and our family who don't yet know Jesus will come to know him. We should still look for opportunities to tell them of the hope that we have in Jesus. In fact, we can do that all the more confidently, knowing that Jesus' people will hear his voice. Alicia and I, between us, have three brothers who don't yet know Jesus. And we'd love to see them come and put their trust in him for the first time. And we pray that they do. And we're confident that if God intends for them to hear his voice, they will. So tying all of this together, how do we understand a relationship with a Jesus who we can't see? Well, we can be confident that Jesus knows us. In fact, Jesus knows the worst things about each one of us, and he still loves us deeply. And we can know him in, through the Bible and by his Spirit. We can be confident that Jesus cares deeply for us and that we can trust him wherever he leads us. We can be confident that he's called us, not only called us to himself, but called us to each other as well. And we can be confident that Jesus laid down his life for us and that he leads us to abundant, glorious life with him. A life where we'll be able to enjoy a relationship with Jesus, face to face with him, with none of the, the pains and the troubles that we have in this world, and that we'll be enjoying it together with everyone else who Jesus has called. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the relationship that we can have with Jesus. Thank you for these wonderful and encouraging words in John's Gospel where we, we see that Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the, the good shepherd who knows us deeply, uh, who cares for us, uh, who laid down his life for us. Uh, thank you for the sure hope that we can have in that, the, the hope of not just going through life and um, hoping that we can, we can please you through what we, through what we do, but knowing that the price for our sins has been paid through Jesus, and that he loved us enough to do that, and that he calls us uh, to be with him and with you forever. And so we pray that these words will be an encouragement for us, that it will be a great reminder of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and, and how that shapes every aspect of our lives. So please may we go away from here encouraged uh, may this shape the way that we, that we pray, that we read the Bible, and that we uh, talk to those people in our lives that don't yet know you. Uh, please may we have great confidence in you and uh, the sure hope that a relationship with Jesus brings. Amen.